it's been beneficial for me. I know we've looked in depth at each one of the Beatitudes and how we can make that application to our lives. And, and I think as a congregation as a whole, we've benefited from that. We've had some great speakers, and we appreciate them coming out. And, and that continues tonight. Some of you may remember Brother Rick Lawson from the Adairsville congregation some, uh, uh, some while back. And I don't recall what exactly my problem was, but I was in need of someone to come and help me out. And, uh, and I don't know who put me into contact with Brother Rick, but I'm sure glad they did. And, and he came up on a Sunday morning and he preached here, uh, at White Oak. And then he sent someone else that Sunday night. And, uh, I appreciate him and, <clears throat> that one sermon up here was enough for Alexandria to want me to call him up and ask him if if he could do her wedding when they got married, when she was still going to do it up here. Of course, then we went down to Savannah. <clears throat> he wasn't able to do that, but we appreciate him coming up. He's been at the Adairsville congregation. He told me he's now in his seventh year. His wife, Mary, could not come with him. Uh, they have some family in. But he has, also has two uh, children. He has a, a son, uh, Timothy. And Anna Marie is his uh, baby, but she's not a baby anymore. She's all grown up. She's about, what did you say, 21? 21. And uh, so, uh, but we're thankful for uh, Rick coming up. He graduated uh, 10 years before I did. He graduated in 1999 from the Memphis School of Preaching. He's been preaching ever since. And we appreciate the good work he has been doing. Again, we, we can't tell you how much we thank you for coming all the way up here. It's a good little drive to come up to Chattanooga. But tonight, Brother Rick will be speaking on, I can rejoice because of God's blessings and I trust in the Lord. And I, we thought that would be a good conclusion to the Beatitudes. Brother, come speak to us. Well, it is really good to be back with you here at White Oak. It's been more than two years since uh, I last visited. It doesn't seem like it's been that long ago, but time flies. It really does. Uh, but it's good to be back. It only takes about an hour to get here from Adairsville, a little bit more in the traffic and rain. Uh, but what a treat to be with you. You might remember that uh, that Sunday evening after I came up on Sunday morning, we sent one of our preaching students up to uh, speak to you. That was Brother Drew Suttles. Uh, he was the third student that we sent to Memphis, and we've sent two more since him. Uh, and Brother Drew is preaching just this side of Nashville at the uh, Gilroy Church of Christ and doing a great, great work there. Uh, and uh, I know he enjoyed his time here as well. Uh, what a great summer series you planned. You know, this was uh, this is a treat for me to be here. But I really uh, appreciated this great, uh, this great series you had on living the Beatitudes. You had some really great speakers and fantastic topics, uh, and I'm really thankful to be here tonight. I know that a lot of planning and a lot of work goes into a summer series, and you are to be commended for that. Uh, I know that many of you have probably been here every time during this meeting of the summer series. And I tell you what, moving it to Thursday is smart too. That gives the preachers uh, from the congregations around an opportunity to stay at home for their summer series or their Wednesday night Bible study and then come out and uh, share the gospel with you too. And what a wonderful treat that is. So I'm glad to be here tonight. I want to uh, spend a little time, open up to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> 
We're going to be reading some of this in just a minute or two. Uh, But what a great blessing to be able to study the Beatitudes and then cap it off with my subject tonight, which is I can rejoice in God's blessings and I trust in the Lord. You know, this is uh, this is a great topic, and I thought that I would just sort of take it word by word or phrase by phrase and talk about some of the important things that we can learn from a topic like this. Not just, though, to make our brain more wrinkly. You know, there's something to be said for learning for learning's sake. But we're trying to learn the Scripture so we can put it into practice in our lives. And, of course, the object of doing that is to make God pleased with us. We want to be, we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And we can only do that if we learn the Bible and then put it into practice in our lives. And so we need to appreciate these great blessings. I can rejoice in God's blessings and I trust in the Lord. I want to break that down. Let's start out with the word I. That's the first word in my subject. You know, this idea of I implies this idea of personal responsibility. I is very personal. You know, the if you have noticed as you studied through the Beatitudes, when Jesus started in the beginning of these Beatitudes, in verse number 3, they were a little bit more generalized in nature. In other words, for instance, in verse number 3, He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, who's that talking about? Well, those who have those particular qualities, whoever they are. Verse number 4, blessed are they that mourn. 5, blessed are the meek. 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. 7, blessed are the merciful. 8, blessed are the pure in heart. 9, blessed are the peacemakers. You see, he's talking about qualities and just whoever possesses those qualities as part of the kingdom of God then they're going to receive the benefits that come from living that kind of lifestyle. Blessed are they, verse number 10, which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But notice the change in verse number 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven." For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see how by the end of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is sort of driving uh, driving home this idea of personal responsibility. It's not just about some general vague idea of people out there in the world. It's about me. It's about the choices I make, the kind of life that I live. How much I submit myself to the instruction of the Word of God. True religion has always been a very personal affair. It's never been about who your mother and father was or who your great, 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 great granddaddy was. It's always been about are you doing what's right in the sight of God. It's been said that the only person you control is the one that you see in the mirror. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good idea. 
It's not that we don't have influence on the people around us. It's not that we don't love our our parents and our children and our friends and our families and we want them to do better. Certainly that is all true and we can have a positive influence on those people. But the only person you can get to heaven for sure is you. But you've got to take responsibility for that. You know, it's the devil who wants you to just run with the crowd. It's the devil who wants you to do what everybody else is doing. Haven't you heard his lies before when he's tempting you to sin? When he, when he says through his ministers at least, Oh, don't worry, everybody's doing it. Don't worry, this is popular. Don't worry, this is the normal thing to do. You know what? None of that matters. The only thing that matters is what is right. I need to do what God wants me to do. Exodus chapter 23 and verse number 2 gives God's idea of it, and that is, thou shalt not follow the multitude to do evil. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. If God says it's wrong, it's still wrong. If everybody on planet earth turns their back on God, wrong is still wrong and right is still right. And we have to do that which God wants us to do. God is concerned about you as an individual. And we see it all throughout the Scripture. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 20, the Bible says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. I sat down not too long ago with a fellow and did a Bible study. He was he was not a member of the church. And I said, do you believe this idea of inherited sin? And he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, do you think you're guilty because of what Adam and Eve did or anybody else on down the line? He said, well, sure. And I took him over here to this passage and I said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You know what? He didn't have an answer for that. He had been taught wrong. That's what the devil wants you to believe. But the truth is, we are personally responsible for ourselves. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 30, Jesus said, The hairs of your head are numbered. For me, that means when God's counting my hairs, He's good at subtraction. (laughs) i got a little hole in my haircut that's getting a little bigger as time goes on. But God knows that. God cares about us as an individual. You're in John 3.16. Did you know that? The Bible says, For God so loved the world. But what he means there is every person in the world. You and me and our neighbors and people in other countries all the way around the world. For God so loved me that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Galatians chapter five, chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says, For every man shall bear his own burden. Now I know that before that passage, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But all that means is, there are some things you can help me with, and some things I can help you with. But there are some things we've got to carry on our own. The choices that we make, When we stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, you're not going to give account of what your preacher says or what your elders think. 
You're not going to give account of your husband or, or, or your wife or your children. You're going to give account for you and I'm going to give account for me. And this verse says, I. God has those blessings out there for each and every one of us to enjoy. But we've got to recognize that idea of personal responsibility. Number one, it is personal. Number two, he says, I can. That indicates possibility, doesn't it? I can. That means it is possible. It is possible for us to be citizens of the kingdom of God. It is possible for us to rejoice and enjoy the good things that God has in store for us in this life. It is possible for us to live a life devoted to God and to His service and in obedience to His will. And it is possible for us to go to heaven. You know the difference between may and can, I know. If I were to go down to the city hall there in Adairsville and get a permit to build a $500,000 mansion there in town. I'd have to pay for that permit and they'd say, you may build that house, but that doesn't mean I can. I don't have the money. (laughs) And no bank that has any sense at all is going to give me that much. (laughs) So just because you may do something doesn't mean that you can do something. God says here, I can We can enjoy these blessings. Satan is the one that wants you to think that good things are impossible in your life. He's always been planting doubt. He's been doing that since the Garden of Eden. He wanted Eve to think something was impossible. And so he took the form of a serpent and came to her and said, What has God said about the tree that grows in the midst of the garden? She said, He said, We can't eat of it and we can't touch it or we'll die. You remember what he said? Thou shalt not surely die. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to die. No, it wasn't. It was possible. And she ate of that fruit and gave to Adam and he ate of it too. And that brought sin into the world and they died spiritually that very day and began to die physically that very day. Oh, it was possible, all right. The devil wants you to think things are impossible. He wants doubt to be a stumbling block in your life too. He'll tell you, you know what he'll tell you? He'll tell you, it's too hard to live the Christian life. You'll never be able to do it. You'll stumble along the way and you'll make a mess out of things like you've done in the past. And you know what? It doesn't matter how hard you try, you'll never make it to heaven. That's the devil talking. Jesus said, I shed my blood for you. I gave you the word of God to give you instruction and encouragement along the way. God wants you to know it's, it's possible. But the devil wants you to think it's impossible. We need to remember what, the, what Jesus said about the old devil. In John 8, and verse number 44, <clears throat> he said to those, uh, those Jews who made themselves his enemy, he says, you're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. You know what made him a murderer? He killed Adam and Eve. He killed them by putting doubt in their mind. And tempting them to sin. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie. He speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. 
The devil says it's impossible to live the Christian life. It's impossible for you to secure these blessings that we're talking about here from God for yourself because you're not good enough. Well, you know what, devil? I might not be good enough, but Jesus is. I'm not going to heaven because I'm good. I'm going to heaven because I'm doing what the Lord tells me to do. And that is possible. You know, we do live in a dark world and the devil's going to try to steal our joy. You don't believe that? Just turn on the evening news. Go on Facebook and scan your feed there. Last week, my friends, Mike and Jennifer Swims, he's one of the preachers in McMinnville, and they found their two-year-old floating in the swimming pool. And they rushed him to the hospital, but they couldn't save him. This is a, this, there's some hurt in this world. There's some pain and there's some suffering. And I wondered how are Mike and Jennifer and their family going to get through this? And then I ran across this passage in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 that says, If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Does it hurt sometimes? You bet it does. Is this old world dark and, and sinful? You bet it is. But God says don't let that make you think that it's impossible for you. Because there's a brighter day coming. And we don't focus on and dwell on the negative. That's not what Christians do. Christians have more reason of anybody on this planet to be optimist. To look on the bright side. And to say, you know what? There might be clouds in the sky right now, but the sun's going to come up again. One day things are going to get better. That's what God has in store for us. With God, there are endless possibilities. Mark 10, verse number 27, the Bible says, And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You know what that means? It means I can. And so can you. We quoted John 3.16 already, didn't we? For God so loved the world that whosoever, it's for you, it's for me, and it's for the people outside of this building too in this community that haven't yet named the name of Christ. It is possible for everyone if they'll respond in the proper way. Number three, this statement says, I can rejoice. That's the product that's the product. That's the, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate manifestation that we have Jesus in our lives. That we're doing what God wants us to do. We can have joy in our lives. That's God's will for the Christian. He don't want us to go around moping and sorry, sad sack all the time. He wants us to rejoice in this life. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 16, Rejoice evermore. James 1 and verse number 9, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. You know, all these passages imply that there is a sort of joy that underlies all the circumstances of our lives. In other words, every day is not going to be home run. Every day is not going to be just sunshine and roses from the minute you open your eyes. That's not the way it works. What this what these passages tell us is underlying all the circumstances of this life, we can have a bedrock of joy in our lives because we know no matter what the devil throws at us, no matter what this world holds in store, if they take everything that we have in this life, they can't take our reward in heaven. They can't take away our relationship with God. And so that should cause us to have a joy in this life that transcends all the rotten circumstances that we find ourselves in from time to time. I can rejoice. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. I'm sure Brother Owens heard the same thing when when he was in preaching school, when I was in preaching school, they said, you know, you're going to have difficult days as a gospel preacher. And when you think your chips are down and you think things are going badly, look down and see if you've got any nail prints in your hands. You see, they, they're not treating you near as badly as people treated Jesus. You're not suffering near like Jesus did. And the Bible says here that we, we are partakers of Christ's sufferings. But even when we do suffer, he says, we ought to rejoice because of it. Rejoice even when you're partakers in the sufferings of Christ because glory's coming one day just like it did for him. Did he suffer on the, on the cross? Why, sure he did. But on the third day, he rose again. And there's a resurrection coming for us too. There's something better after the circumstances of this life. You know, our rejoicing ought to start for us on a very special day. And we have some insight into that in the Scripture as well. I remember in Acts chapter 8, in verse number 37, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they came to a certain water, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. If you can't start rejoicing on the day that you put away that old man of sin, if you can't start rejoicing when you realize that you have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ because you've been buried with Him in baptism, then you might not have a feeling in your body. I still remember vividly what it felt like to come up out of that old uh, cold stream in the middle of the night when I was baptized. I got off the 311 shift working in a factory. 
And I decided I was going to be baptized that very night. The fellow who was teaching me the gospel followed me home. And I never even told my wife that I was studying the Bible. And so as not to surprise her, about midnight I knocked on the door when I got home. And she knew something was strange because I never knocked on the door when I came home. But I had my friend with me. And she came to the door with a confused look on her face. And I said, I need some towels. I'm about to go be baptized and become a Christian. And she looked at me with confusion in her, in her face and she said, you're going to do what now? And I said, I'm going down to the creek and I'm going to be baptized because I want to be a Christian. And she said, well, can I go? <laughs> and I said, sure you can. So me and her and my friend went down to that creek and he baptized me there that night. And I'll never forget the feeling of knowing that that old man of sin was gone now. The Bible says that I was raised to walk in newness of life. And you know what? Just like that Ethiopian eunuch, I went on my way rejoicing. And there have been good days and bad days since that that time many years ago. It wasn't too terribly long after that that I taught my wife the gospel and baptized her into Christ. What a joy that was. Many years later, I baptized my daughter when she was about 11 years old. And I thought, you know what, if the Lord took me on home right now, I'd be as happy as I could be. The first person ever baptized was my wife, and here I have baptized my daughter. (laughs) What a great feeling that was. We rejoice because we're part of God's family. We rejoice because we obey the gospel and become part of that kingdom with no end. We're headed to heaven. And we ought to be rejoicing because of it. I can rejoice. But then, number four, I can rejoice because of God's blessings. I knew I'd be running out of time when I got to this, so I kind of combined some of these words together. (laughs) I can rejoice because of God's blessings. This shows us that He provides God provides blessings in our lives. You know, there are so many reasons for Christians to rejoice. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to read a section here and point out some of the things that we can rejoice about. Some of the reasons that we have for rejoicing. I have written in the margin of my Bible up at the top where it says 1 Peter that this is a book about suffering. And that's true. But I've also come to realize that it's also a letter about rejoicing in spite of the sufferings that we may face as Christians. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse number 3. And I'll read down through verse number 9. Then we'll go back and look at some reasons that we have to rejoice. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, 
might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Boy, there's so much there to unpack in that verse, and so much of it is things that we have reason to rejoice over. Number one, look at there where it talks about God's abundant mercy. Isn't that a reason for us to rejoice? See, the Bible clearly teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that deserves to go to heaven because of our goodness. And so every one of us depends on the mercy of God. And God is a a God of abundant mercy. That's something that we ought to be rejoicing about. You ever show mercy on your kids? I know we have in my family probably too merciful most of the time. That's the way God is for us. He is a merciful God. Notice there, we also can rejoice because He has begotten us again. That's talking about the new birth. That's talking about what God did for us when we obeyed the gospel. How He washed us in the blood of Christ. Revelation uh, chapter 1 verse number 5. How He added us to the kingdom. Added us to the church. Acts chapter 2 verse number 47. How we are raised to walk in newness of life. After being baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. Where we come in contact with His blood. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and following. So many, so many reasons for us to rejoice, including that we are born again. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. I'm thankful that we are able to be born again. Also, because we're born again, we have what the King James calls a lively hope. <clears throat> what that means is, it's a living hope. It's not something that's dead. It's something that's, it's something that's alive and well. It remains no matter what kind of tricks the devil plays. It remains true that we have a hope of heaven and we'll make it one day if we're faithful. Nobody can stop us. We might stop ourselves. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be faithful to the end. Notice that we have access to that lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, we celebrate that wonderful fact every time, basically, we assemble around the Lord's table on the Lord's day, don't we? Somebody says, well, that that is to celebrate the death of Christ. Well, that's true, but if Christ stayed dead, there'd be no hope in that. The fact that Jesus died for us and rose again on the third day proves that He was the Son of God, according to Romans chapter 1, verse number 4. And because of that, He can be the foundation of the church. You know, when He told Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about that confession that Peter had just made, that Jesus was the Son of God. And so the church is built on Jesus Christ and on His divinity. And if he's just a man, the church cannot stand. But of course, that's not what Jesus is. He was raised from the dead to show that he had the power of God. 
that He is deity in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse number 1 and verse number 14. Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the dead. Notice He describes in verse number 4 what heaven is going to be like. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. You know, I don't really follow the stock market that much. But I saw today red flashing across the screen during the news. And, uh, you know, hundred and something points, the stock market is down. You know what? That means people are poorer than they were yesterday. At least some people are. Some people might have lost a lot of things. That's the way, that's the way finances are. They can fade away. You can be rich one day and poor the next when it comes to material things. Last week sometime, somebody stole my identity. Started out by them stealing my telephone number of all things. They called the, they called the phone company and said, this is Rick Lawson, I got a new telephone, I want you to transfer, transfer my number to it. And then they called the bank from my phone number and said they wanted to get into my account. I was that close to losing it all. <laughs> the bank stopped them, thankfully. You know what? There's a whole lot of people out there. The bank doesn't stop it. They're, they have plenty one day, and the next day they've got nothing. That's the way this life is in the, on the material side of things. But what he says here is this, this riches that we have laid up for us in heaven, it won't fade away. Nobody can steal that from you. It's something that is reserved in heaven for you. You know, sometimes as preachers we go around and preach in different places and sometimes we have to stay a while and the church where we're going will make reservations at the hotel for us. Isn't that a great feeling? You drive sometimes late into the evening, you're tired, and you get there and you give them your name and they say, don't worry about it, right here's your key. And you just go up to your room. Man, how much better that's going to be when we get to heaven. We have a reservation there. That ought to give us great joy. That's a reason to rejoice. Verse number 5 describes Christians as people who are kept by the power of God. That word kept is really a military term. It means guarded. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel good. God is guarding me. He's guarding my soul. The devil wants to destroy me. Do you know he wants to destroy you too? Do you know He really wants to destroy you? He doesn't care about destroying these people out here lost in the world. They're already His. He's after you and me and everybody else who is a member of the Lord's church. He's trying to drag us down and hurt us. But God is guarding us through His power. He's guarding us through His Word. He's given us the sword of the Spirit to fight off the old devil. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God provides that kind of protection, that kind of guarding, uh, guarding for, of my soul. You know, he says here that we can even be blessed and rejoice when we have trials of our faith. You know, a trial of your faith, he, he compares it here with gold. To purify gold, they heat it up until it melts and then the impurities 
float to the top and they skim that off and then they're left with pure gold. That's what our lives are like. But the fire are these tests that we go through. These trials that we face on a, on a daily basis. And what that does is it heats up our life and lets the impurities be skimmed off the top. And we go through those trials. We're stronger afterward than we were before. Rejoice when you face these kind of stri- these kind of trials and tests because you come out stronger. He says, when we come through these temptations, we're found unto praise and honor and glory. Have you ever thought about rejoicing in your life because God gives you the opportunity to assemble with the saints every time these doors are open? and to worship God in spirit and truth, and join your voices with millions all over the world who are worshiping God in that same way in spirit and in truth. The blessings of being able to give God honor and glory. We ought to rejoice because of that. He says in verse number 8, You rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. I think what he's getting at here when he calls it unspeakable joy is the fact that it's sort of hard to explain what it feels like to be a Christian. It's sort of hard to explain to people who haven't experienced it already what a rock that we live on when we stand upon the Word of God. This life cannot shake us. Sometimes... They have this contest to find out who the world's strongest man is. And they get these giants out there that lift up these heavy boulders and, uh, you know, pick up cars and run with them. I don't know what all kind of tests they do. Well, you know what? That kind of physical strength is impressive. But it it doesn't hold a candle to some of the spiritual strength that I've seen manifested in the lives of Christians uh, throughout uh, throughout my years in the, in the ministry, some of the strongest people I know are little old ladies who have been through the fires of this life that you couldn't imagine, and yet their faith has not been shaken a bit. What does it really mean to be strong? That's what he's talking about here. We rejoice with a joy unspeakable, full of glory. Verse number 9, receiving the end of your faith. I think maybe a better wording for that is the goal of your faith. He's talking about here like a person who's running in a race. And he sees that finish line just ahead of him. And that finish line, it's the end of the race. It's the goal that he's running for. And that's what he's saying here. We receive the goal of our faith. What is that goal? The salvation of our souls. Now I know in a sense the Lord has already saved us. Mark chapter 15 and verse number 16, the Bible says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That passage though is talking about our past sins. Those things are washed away when we obey the gospel and repent of them and are baptized into Christ when we obey the gospel in that way. Every past sin is washed away. But this salvation that he's talking about here is not just our past sins. He's talking about here the salvation of our souls in heaven. 
He's talking about here the ultimate goal of our faith, which is to leave this old world of sin and trouble and trial behind, to leave the pain and and sufferings and trials of this life, to go on to our long home when this life is over and the judgment is past. The salvation of our souls in heaven with God for all eternity. That's a reason for us to rejoice. Those are things that God provides in our lives. Reasons for us to rejoice. And then finally, with just the few minutes that we have left, I want to notice this phrase, and I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. You know what that is? That's our part. That's our part. You see, God's already done His part. He created this world in six days and made everything perfect for mankind. He sent Jesus into the world because He knew our struggle with sin. He knew that without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there'd be no hope for us to get to heaven. The Holy Spirit revealed the Word of God in a way that we could read it and understand it, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And then throughout His providence, for thousands of years, He protected the Word of God so that we can have it in this complete written form that we have it today. He, through His Word, revealed the plan of salvation. He told us about His building of the church and about how the church is to worship, about how the church is to be governed. God has done everything that He can to make sure we have everything that we need to go to heaven. That's God's part. You don't have to worry about God's part. The only thing you have to concern yourself with is doing your part. That's what he's talking about. That's what we're talking about here. Trusting in the Lord. That's my part. Proverbs 3 and verse number 5. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not upon thine own understanding. That's what a lot of people are doing in this life. They don't understand it. They won't do it their way. They think they have a better plan than God, and that's what they're going to do. That that won't save you. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Proverbs 28 and verse 25 says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. (laughs) That's not talking about physically fat. That's talking about being fat-souled. What a blessing. Romans 10 and verse number 17 tells us how we get that faith. It's not some kind of pie-in-the-sky reward that God just drops down on at random on individuals. The Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You want to trust in God? You better get to studying your Bible. That's the only way faith comes. The Bible says that it's absolutely essential for us to be saved. If he, In uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in verse 6 of that chapter, it says, It is impossible to please God without faith. For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 7, We walk by faith... And not by sight. You know, that 
idea of walking by faith. When the Bible, usually when the Bible is talking about walking in this way, it's just an illustration for living the Christian life. Living. That's what he means here. We live by faith, not by sight. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Faith is critical. But the kind of faith that God wants is a trusting, obedient faith. You see, there are a lot of people out there in the religious world that tell people all they've got to do is believe and they'll be saved. But God never said that. He said believe enough to obey. Believe enough to do what God says to do and then you'll be saved. Trusting in the Lord is our part. That's what God has left up to us. I've heard it said this way by the old-timey preachers. God has cast one vote for you. The devil's cast one vote against you. You have the deciding vote. And the way you vote is how you live your life. Are you going to live it by having faith in, in the Lord, trusting in Him? I ask you tonight as we close, have you done your part? We already know God's done His the question is, have you done your part? Obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. If you haven't, will you? That's a pretty pertinent question for, for, a, for a lesson like this tonight. What we've seen here is that rejoicing in these blessings and trusting in God, it's personal. It's possible. Joy is the product and we can rejoice because God provides the blessing in our lives, but then we've got to do our part. If you're here tonight and you haven't done your part, well, there's no better time than the present. Everything here, I'm sure, is ready. If you want to obey the gospel, it may be that all of us here tonight are already New Testament Christians. If that is the case, then what you need to do is remain faithful to God. And sometimes we stray, sometimes we stumble. And if you're here tonight and you realize there's sin in your life right now standing between you and God, now's the time to come back through repentance and prayer. Just like the non-Christian can't figure out a better plan than God's plan, neither can the Christian stray from God's plan and be saved. Come back to the Lord on His terms through repentance and prayer. And He loves you so much, He'll forgive you. And we want to pray with you and for you if we can to help you. If you've sinned in a public way and brought shame on the Lord and on His body, now's the time you can make that known so you can come back and receive the prayers of the church. And we want to do that. You don't have to leave here lost. It does take courage to respond in a public way like we are here tonight. But I tell you what, everything is ready and everybody here is praying for you. They're thinking about you and they want to help you. If you're subject, all you have to do is let us know right now as together we stand and as we sing.